This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, welcome, everybody. It's so good to have you here. We're in uh, week three of a series that we've called Frequency. And what we've been asking is, God, can you help us to tune in even more clearly to your voice so that we can hear you and respond to you? Uh, Today is probably out of the entire series going to be the most practical message that I have for you. So if you've been struggling and really wanting to hear from God, today's going to be one of those messages that you're really going to want to grasp onto. Uh, I believe that it's really going to be a blessing for you. Now, as we get started today, uh, I, I want to tell you a story about uh, my friend, Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan is my my pastor. His name is Dan Stahlbaum. He pastors East Coast Christian Church in uh, Merritt Island, Florida, which is a kind of central coastal Florida. And, and I'm so thankful for him because a few years ago, he, he just really decided that he wanted to take an interest in my life. How many of y'all know that every once in a while, somebody will take an interest in you, just decide that they want to make a difference in your life, and it just makes all the difference when you meet those kind of people. He's been that kind of person for me. And every year, just about, he invites me to go on a fishing trip. We go to Montana, and we fish, fly fish the Bighorn River, which is the gold medal trout stream in the United States. Here, here's a picture of me fishing up there. And it's always cold, even in the middle of the summer. And so I'm there. That's my friend Kevin Wright, who's right over my shoulder, wearing the Tennessee Volunteers hat. He is a pastor in northern Florida. Pete Kirstead, he's a pastor in central Florida, back over there. And it's a group of pastors, and we go fly fishing. Now, I just want to make a confession. I'm not a fisherman, Okay. I, I, many, some of you guys go fishing in, in your free time. I don't have other things that I do in my free time. But, but I love this trip because of how secluded it is and how, how much it just kind of reinvigorates my soul to be around those guys. And I noticed something while we were there, that I was fishing. We were all fishing with the same bait. We're all using the same guides, and I wasn't catching any fish. As a matter of fact, the average person on those trips took home about 20 fish. They caught about 20 different fish. I caught two fish. That's it. Here's fish number one. All right, notice how far they made me hold that fish out when I took the picture. So the fish looks much bigger than it really was. It was only like this big. It was like a guppy, which you can tell by how big my hand was compared to. And then here's fish number two. So excited. That was a really nice rainbow right there. All right, so, so I, I did catch a couple fish, but I didn't catch as many fish. And I got to thinking that I think that's a lot like our prayer lives and our seeking the voice of God. That many of us are, are seeking the voice of God, but there's a, a problem. That there's a problem when it comes to us seeking the voice of God. See, many of us don't realize that we're all fishing with the same bait. Do you realize that? God wants to speak to every one of us the same. He wants to speak to you just like he wants to speak to me, like he's wanted to speak to all of his children throughout the history. And we've learned over the past few weeks that God not only is our shepherd and that he wants us to hear his voice, but he wants to be your friend. He wants to speak to you. So we all have the same bait. The problem that is probably more present is what was present in my game when I was fishing, is that we're not using the right technique. 
So what I want to do is just to be real practical today and talk about what it would take for us to catch the word of God. So I'm going to give you some advice, four simple things that we need to do if we're going to catch the word of God. Number one is set an appointment. Set an appointment. How many of y'all realize that your schedules are so busy that if you're not intentional about where your time goes, that you won't put time where you want it to be, and you'll end up doing by default what is not what you want to do. I say this a lot. We either live our lives by default or by design, and you have to design the way that your schedule looks. See, if I sit back and look at your schedule, I will practically be able to tell the things that you care about because where we differentiate our resources, especially our time, it demonstrates what we care about. Look at how God dealt with Israel in Exodus 19. The Lord said to Moses, go down and prepare for the people for my arrival. Consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day. For on that day, the Lord will come down to Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Oh, listen to that. God made an appointment to meet with the people of Israel. God made an appointment. Why do we think that if we're going to meet with God that we don't need to have a time that's set aside, I'm going to meet with you, God. I'm going to meet with you. Some of you are saying, as I just kind of talk of that, some of you are saying, hey, but Kevin, you don't know my schedule. I leave every morning an hour early because I got to drive all the way to Charlotte to get to my job. And by the time I get to my job and go through everything, I don't have any time during the day. And by the time I'm driving home and I get home, I'm so tired. I don't have any time for it. But here's the truth about time. We make time for what's really important, don't we? Let me ask you this question. If all of a sudden today you found out you'd been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I were able to tell you that there's a treatment that will keep you alive, it will keep you alive, but it will cost you every day 30 minutes. You'll have to spend every day in treatment for 30 minutes. Do you think you could make time for that every day? Do you think you could? Because I'm going to bet you could. A few weeks ago, I preached a, ser uh, a sermon called Choosing to Cheat. If you're that person that's here and you're saying, I don't, I don't know how to balance my work and my, my home and my spiritual life, please go back and listen to that because we give some great advice on how to do that. But here's the kind of opening advice. You have to make an appointment. So what's your appointment? What's your standing appointment right now with God? When are you meeting with God? What does that look like for you? Because without that standing appointment with God, what happens is we get too busy and we start to live by default and God gets pushed out of our schedule. Number two, we need to be still in worship. Be still in worship. Too often, for many of us, even when we make time for God, the opening of our time with God is us sharing with God the things that we feel like we want him to do or that we need him to do or the things that we need from him. But if you really want to maximize your capacity to catch the word of God, to listen and hear the word of God, when you come into that appointment, the first thing that you need to do is to be still. I love Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. This is Moses giving direction as the people of God are going into a battle. And I want you to know that that opening moment of your time with God is a battle. It is a battle for your attention. And Moses says this to the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. 
Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you. And then one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. You only need to be still. Can I just tell you something about the greatest battles that you're ever going to have in your life? You can't win them on your own. You can't win them on your own. Every week I meet with a friend of mine who's a member of our church who's battling a terminal illness. And she's in what looks like maybe the final stages of that battle. She just started a, 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 we're praying, a miracle drug that has provided a lot of help for other people. But it's a battle she can't win on her own. If you've ever prayed for a lost child, it's a battle you can't win on your own. And we need to learn to be still, as Psalm 46 says, and know that he is God. Because here's the problem. So many times we're so busy working, trying to earn God's approval, trying to make something happen that we're never still, and we never get to see that he is God. Because we're trying to play God. And we need to be still and worship in 2 Chronicles verse, or chapter 20, the armies of Israel have been surrounded by various armies. It's one of the most interesting moments in the historical books looking over the Old Testament. As you look at this, it kind of references the point where I think many of our lives are. You ever felt like, I don't think the devil's just in my finances. I feel like the devil's got in my kids and my spouse. The devil's now in my boss. The devil's everywhere. I feel like I'm getting attacked from every single area. You ever felt that way? I know there are some of us that are in here right now, and we feel that way. So watch what the king of Israel did in verse 21. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. And at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to fight among themselves. See, he didn't send the army. He didn't send the warrior. He sent the worshiper first. And worship confused the enemy. See, we need to be still and worship because our worship will confuse the enemy and connect us to the heart of God. The third thing that we need to do is we need to pray and read. We need to pray and read. Now, this is where we often start, isn't it? We just try to squeeze out time to pray and to read. But here's the truth. You've got to set an appointment. You've got to go into that appointment with the intention to be still and to worship and then to pray and to read. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to neglect prayer on a regular basis in your life? You ever noticed how easy it is? To go through day after day after day without seeking God, without confessing to him what you need. You ever noticed? I think it is so easy. But when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus never seemed to do that. As a matter of fact, in Mark 1.35, we see a pattern emerge that is going to become his pattern in living. Jesus, before the day daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. 
So let me just submit this to you. If the son of God who was not infected by sin, who had greater capacity and intimacy with God than we could ever have, if he made it a point to set an appointment and go pray to the father, don't you think we should too? I think we should too. And look at what happened where the Bible speaks in Psalm 19, 119, verse 47. I love this verse. This is so important when it comes to reading the Bible and praying through. Look at this. I rise early before the sun is up, and I cry out for help, and I put my hope in your words. Look at that. I put my hope in your words. Think about that. You know how easy it is in the moment of crisis to put our hope in something other than God? There's a lot of you that when times get tough, the first person you want to call is a parent. And if your parents will tell you everything's going to be okay, you feel pretty good about the situation. Some of you, when you need advice, you turn to a friend because they have a life that you admire and you turn to them. And if they'll speak something to you, you'll feel better. But can I tell you something? That hope that is not found and anchored in God's word is fleeting and it will fail you. But hope that is anchored in his word will last through the most difficult storms that we'll ever face. So where's your hope today? Where do you put your hope? Is it in the advice of men? The counsel of a friend? Or is it in the word of God? Because we need to set an appointment. We need to be still and worship. Then we need to pray and to read. And the last thing that I'm going to tell you to do is something that many of us don't do. And I believe that it actually, if we get a glimpse with our hearts and our kids, I think it might even annoy God a little bit, is that we need to listen and write. You kids, you ever had this experience with your kids where they keep asking you the same question over and over and over again? That ever happened to you? Hey, Dad, can I have a donut? No, we're about to eat supper. Hey, Dad, can I have a donut? No, I just told you no. Hey, Dad, can I have a donut? No, this is the third time you've asked. Do I? This is my question. All right, <laughs> this is so funny. I wasn't planning on it, but I'll ask my kids. Do I seem like the dad that would change his mind? Of which they always go, No, you don't. And I'll go, Okay, then move on. So the other day, I changed my mind, and my daughter goes. But dad, I thought you were the kind of dad that doesn't change his mind. <laughs> they pay attention to so much. But I think that sometimes we keep going to God and we say, God, my boss is bothering me, wants too much for me. And God says, well, I'm going to show you what to do. He shows us what to do. Three weeks later, God, my boss is bothering me, wants too much for me. What, didn't we just talk about this? Didn't I, didn't I just give you an answer just a couple weeks ago to the same question? See, we need to do exactly what God directed Habakkuk to do in Habakkuk 2. Look at this. The Lord gave me this answer. God, Habakkuk is seeking the voice of God. God, tell me what to do. Write down clearly on the tablets what I reveal to you so that it can be read at a glance. Put it in writing because it is not yet time for it to come true, but the time is coming quickly and what I show you will come true. 
See, sometimes we need to write down the voice of God because we're going to have that question again later. And God speaks to you and he answers it. And we need to be able to go back and look in and say, God, you, you know, I was struggling with this. You spoke this to me. I'm going to put my hope in that word. And sometimes God's going to speak to you and he's going to say something like, I'm going to save your kids. I'm going to, I know that they've wandered away, but I want you to know that I'm going to, I'm going to save them. And at some point you've got to write that down because you're going to start to doubt it. And you've got to be able to go back and look and say, God said he's going to do it. And sometimes God might even speak to you about what he is going to do for generations forward in your family. I think it's important to write down what we're praying for. My wife does something really neat. She keeps a box. It's a really decorative box where she'll take like a three by five card and while I'm praying for this and she'll fold it and put it in the box. And she'll fold it and put it in the box. Just keeping a record of what she's praying for. Because look at this moment. This happens with David and Solomon, David, who had been used by God to really transition the kingdom of Israel into a healthy state, had, had, had not really accomplished everything that he had set out to do. Look at what he says to his son, Solomon. Every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord. Can you imagine at the end of your life, Knowing that God had spoken to you about what your family would do and looking at your son or your daughter and handing them a book that says, this is what God has spoken to me about you. As I've prayed for you and sought God for you for years and seen so much of it come true, but there's some stuff that's in here that you're going to read it and you're going to go, no way, but he's going to do it through you because it's going to happen. See, with that box that my wife keeps, every once in a while, she'll open it up. She'll go back to it, and she'll pull out those cards. She'll go, yep, God, you answered that one. Yep, you, you answered that one. Yep, you answered. See, when we write down what God speaks to us, it gives us the chance to see the faithfulness of God as he's been faithful over and over and over, and his voice and his word has met our needs over and over and over again. Now, if you're like me, there are times that I'm asking God to speak to me, and I feel like God may have spoke to me, or it might have been a bad burrito from Taco Bell. You ever had those moments? Like, I don't know if this is legit, and I think that we not only need to catch the word of God, but we need to confirm the word of God as well. And so what I want to do today is to give you three questions that I think help confirm the word of God. When God speaks to us, this desire to have the word confirmed is a holy and good thing. We actually see it several times emerging throughout the scriptures where uh, one of the, in the book of Judges, a, a man named Gideon, who God spoke to many times, kept going back to God and said, God, I, I think you spoke to me, but could you, could you please just confirm that that was you? And God never once got angry. As a matter of fact, he responded to, to Gideon. He, he did what he needed to to clarify his voice for even into the New Testament. When we look at Mark 16 and Jesus has died and been crucified and been resurrected and went up to heaven. And now the, the people of God, the disciples are taking that message forward. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them. And look at this, confirmed his word. 
by the signs that accompanied it. See, I want you to understand that when God speaks to you, he wants you to have confidence as he confirms the word of God to you. So here are three questions to help you confirm the word of God. Number one, does it line up with the Bible? Does it line up with the Bible? Does what God's saying to you, what God's directing you to do, does it line up with the principles of Scripture? And I've had so many people come in and sit down in my office and they've said, you know, I think God's telling me to do this. And I can look at them boldly and say, I am positive God's not telling you to do that. And the reason I can boldly say that is his word never says to do that. As a matter of fact, it says, do not do what you want to do. I want you to understand something about God's word as he speaks to us. God's voice will never disagree with God's word. God's voice will never disagree with God's word. And if you cannot confirm what you think God's telling you to do in the scriptures, I want you to understand it probably is not the Lord speaking to you. It is definitely not the Lord speaking to you. Because it is always going to line up with the Bible. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's us, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God gave you his word to equip you in this life. And the first filter that we need to ask is, God, does what I feel like you're asking me to do, what you're telling me, does it line up with your word? Number two. Does godly counsel and biblical authority agree? Does godly counsel and biblical authority agree? Do the people who are in your life that love Jesus, the people that God has put over you that you know love Jesus and care for you, do they agree with what you're telling them? You see, all throughout the book of Acts, there is this movement that when God would call and separate, the church would respond and say, we see this in you. We see this in you. We confirm this. We, we see, as the biblical authority, as the pastors and elders, we say, we see this in you. And sometimes we're so individualistic in this culture that we want to feel like we can make the decision about what we're going to do on our own. And God never does that. God puts you under people that from time to time will say no or not now. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 12, verse 15. It says, the ways of a fool seem right to them. Right to them. In other words, it makes sense to them. But the wise will listen to advice. For me, this has always been important in my ministry. From the early days when I felt God calling me to preach and to lead in church, that I wanted our, my, my church and the leaders in my church to recognize that because I knew that was the biblical model. Can I be honest with you? Initially, it took a little while. It took a lot longer than I would have liked. But there came a moment when I finally sat before them and they said, we see it in you. We believe it in you. Now we're going to pray over you and we want you to go do what God's called you to do. One of the most powerful moments in my, my whole ministry when my home church did that for me. Now the church that I was at in South Carolina, 
To be honest with you, it wasn't the most gracious place when it came to transitions and staff. Our pastor had kind of the mantra of, if it's time for you to leave, then you need to leave, which is not uncommon. So if God began to move somebody into a different direction, his response was, you just need to do that quickly. It's better for us if you do it quickly. It's better for you if you do it quickly. If God's spoken, you need to respond. So when God started speaking to me about coming to North Carolina and planting a church. You know, that's not something that you just leave and you go do. It's something that takes a lot of planning and a lot of intentionality. So we had this moment. It was right after Easter, and Easter had been so good for us. So many people came to know Jesus. It had been a big day, hundreds in attendance. And I went into the office on Monday morning when I wasn't supposed to be, and me and him were the only two people in the whole church. And I was just kind of under this cloud. Like God was transitioning my heart. He was moving me. I knew that that's what was happening. And I knew that even though yesterday had been so awesome, there were things that if I would have been leading, we would have done slightly different. And so there was this tension. And without me ever saying anything, I hadn't seen him all morning. My pastor came in and he sat across my desk and he looked at me and said, Kevin, what's wrong? I said, you know, yesterday was so good but I feel like God's doing something in me to lead me to go plant a church back in our hometown in Albemarle, North Carolina. And he looked at me and he said, Kevin, I believe in you. If it'll take months or years, I don't care how long it takes, you stick around as long as you need to. I want you to have the flexibility to go and do whatever you need to investigate, whatever, whatever it would help you. I want to give you this. And we want to support you and take care of you and your family. My friends who had been a part of our transitions before said, if you needed any confirmation from the Lord, that was it. Because my pastor said, I see something in you. I believe that this is God speaking to you. Does Godly counsel and biblical authority agree. And then number three, do you have peace? Do you have peace? See, so many times we invert those questions and we ask about peace first. You ever notice that when you read Jonah, Jonah's running away from God and on a boat going the opposite direction and he's asleep. So you can have peace and not answer number one and number two the right way. And all that is is your peace. It's not God's peace. Look at what God says about this in Colossians 3.15. The peace that Christ gives is to guide you in the decisions that you make. And that peace is not circumstantial. As a matter of fact, God may often lead you into places that the circumstances would deny you peace. But there will be a peace about it because it's obviously his will. I can tell you that when we moved here. There was a peace. I moved here not making any money, leaving a job that I made very well for our kind of demographic and where we were at that point in time. But I did so with a lot of peace because, number one, God had spoken to me. It lined up with the word of God. Biblical authority over me agreed, and I had a peace with it. Which is why I think Philippians 4, 7 says that God's peace, which is far beyond human understanding, which is far beyond our peace, will keep your hearts and minds safe in union with Christ Jesus. So how does God confirm his word to us? When he's spoken to us, I'm going to give you three things, just simplifying those questions. His principles, 
his people, and his peace. Now, Bill Hybels is a pastor in uh, Chicago, pastors a church called Willow Creek. A few years ago, he wrote a book called Whispers, where really he talked about this approach of hearing from God. And in that context, he shared some stories from their church. And they're powerful. And some of them I, I, I've listened to, and I, I listened to one, and I thought, man, this really is such a, a good example of everything that we've talked about today. And so I'm going to let my friend Bill share the story of his friend, Tom. Would you write this or watch this? Over the years, I've tried to coach people how they can get into a position where they can maybe hear more promptings from God. And this gets a little on the practical side of things, but sometimes that's what you have to do. I remember coaching our whole congregation on these basics one day, and afterwards there was a young advertising executive who approached me after the service, and uh, he said, what kind of world do you live in that you could actually spend time every day, like meeting with God and listening for whispers? He, he said, I don't live in that kind of world. I commute to downtown Chicago, leave the house at 5.30 in the morning, get back at 6.30 at night. I just can't make room for that kind of thing in my life. And I said to him, well, uh, I make room for anything in my life that I think has value. And I think listening to God and hearing his promptings and whispers has a value. So I'm not trying to compare my schedule and yours. I'm just saying I've made room for this in my life. You've got a choice to make in your life. And he walked away. I thought maybe I'd never see him again. Many months later, uh, he came down and saw me after a service, and his countenance was different. He just looked a little bit more centered and maybe a little less frenzied. And uh, he said, I wonder if you and your wife would come over to our house for a dinner. And I said, well, I'll have to check with the boss, but uh, I'll get back to you. And I did, and they lived in the area. And so Lynn and I went over to their home. And uh, we were having appetizers, and he tugged at my sleeve, and he said, come see something I've wanted to show you for a long time. And I didn't know what he was going to show me, but he took me to a room that overlooked his back deck, and there was a rocking chair, a really quality rocking chair. He said, that day you told me that maybe I should, you know, make time to quiet myself before God and read his word and listen to his whispers. He said, I, I went out and I bought a quality rocking chair. I love rocking chairs. And I decided I would make time in the morning to sit in that rocking chair and overlook my back deck, have a cup of coffee, and just read God's Word and see what would happen. And he said, I've been doing this virtually every morning since you gave me that challenge. Uh, several months later, I was quite surprised. I ran into this man after a church service, and he said, uh, could I have a private conversation with you? I'm thinking about leaving the advertising business. And I knew he had been very successful in in that vocation and I said well tell me about this and he said well you know I sit in that chair every day and as I've been searching God's Word and listening for promptings uh, I just decided there's something of greater value that I'd like to do with the best hours of my day and he said I'm good at advertising but God's been prompting me a little bit maybe maybe I could help you build Willow and I said well you know no one's getting any salaries around here and it's very hard work and we don't know if the church is ever going to really make it. So I, I, can't, I can't promise you anything, really. And he said, I've done quite well in advertising. My savings can hold me over for a time. 
I said, well, you go back to that rocking chair and you make sure this is of God because I don't really want to take responsibility for your life and family and so. And uh, several weeks later, he came back and he said, I resigned from my position downtown. He said, I'm ready to come to work tomorrow morning. And I said, really? <laughs> and he did. And he started working as an unpaid employee at Willow and was a fantastic staff member. And the church was able to get a little bit stronger and we were able to pay him a salary uh, again as, as the church uh, began to compile a little more resource. And then it was several years after that he came into my office and uh, he said, I need to have a, a conversation with you. I think God's prompting me to leave Willow and help a friend of mine start a church in Colorado. I said, where did this all come from? He said, well, you know that chair, you know, I still sit in it every morning. And my friend really has a heart to, to start this church in Colorado, and, and he needs help. And he said, uh, God's been prompting me. I think I'll go back into the advertising uh, vocation out west, and maybe I can earn money to support the start of that new church. And I said, really? You really think God's telling you to do this? Maybe you should go back to that chair for a little while and get confirmation of, it, of this kind of thing. And so he did. And several weeks later, he came back and he said, uh, God confirmed this is what I'm supposed to do. So in just a few months, he packed his family up and he moved to Colorado where he got a job in advertising and, and gave most of the money from his salary to the launch of that new church. And you would think that this story has a happy ending, but it was only a few years after the launch of that church in Colorado that he was sitting in that same chair one day and absorbed a doctor's report that said cancer had enveloped his body and it didn't look good. And he brought that doctor's report uh, right to that chair and prayed over it and asked God to do a miracle and a miracle in his case wasn't gonna happen, but he asked God to give him peace that passes human understanding. And God did answer that prayer. And uh, he faced a very difficult and painful death from the strength that he gained every day in that chair. And there came a day when they had to move him out of that chair and put him in a hospital bed. It was a very tough day. And he wasn't in that hospital bed very long and he died. Uh, the family asked if I would fly to Colorado and give the eulogy at his funeral. I did, it was a very uh, tough thing to do. He's a fantastic guy. Uh, after the funeral was over, I talked to his wife and uh, I said, what are you going to do with that chair? And she said, well, we're going to keep that chair in the family. You know, God changed Tom's life in that chair. God whispered to Tom in that chair. And uh, she was saying, we'd like to pass that chair from one generation to the next to the next. But never underestimate what God can do in a chair or in the front seat of a pickup truck. Some of the carpenters who attend our church just meet with God and listen for whispers, front seat of a pickup. Some people do it on a commuter train going downtown and uh, other people will do it in a coffee shop. It doesn't matter where so much, just that you devote the time to quiet yourself, to listen to God and to be open to what he might say to you. So today, I just want you to tell, I, 
What, if you were to ask me one of those things, like one of those big grand questions as a pastor, what do I want for you guys? I, I want you to have a chair. where you meet with God, where God speaks to you, where if you're a parent and you're here, your kids know that this is where mom or dad seeks God right here. I want you to have the relationship that Jesus has already paid the price for you to have. You don't have to be good enough. Your relationship with God is never going to have a foundation of your performance. It does have a foundation of His grace and His desire for you. You know, I realized something. We can get sick on accident, but we never get healthy on accident. And for many of us today, the only way that the tide's ever going to turn in this is when you make the intentional decision to say, God, I'm going to seek out your word and I'm going to make an appointment with you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.